0: So now the question is, can you hear me? It sounds like you can. I can hear me, so you must be able to. Praise God. Step in. Are you ready? Glory to God. Well, thank you all for coming out tonight. Another rainy Wednesday. Uh, But, you know, the rain is good to water and nourish and give us strength. And... uh, so is the word. So we will get into the word tonight. Welcome to all of you who are online for Wednesday night Bible study. We will uh, pick up our topic. If you, hopefully, were here about four weeks ago when we uh, did a message, or uh, the Lord really showed us about the uh, topic of the glory in the tabernacle. And uh, so I want to go deeper into that topic tonight. And and why is that important? Why is that critical for us to study? And, and this is my heartbeat on this subject, if people come to the church and they don't experience God, if they don't have that inward witness that says, wow, this stuff is real, then they're going to come to any club, any organization, look for a social outlet, look for good food or friends or what have you and not experience God. And then when the pressure comes, they'll be shaken. So the glory in the tabernacle is vital. That experiential understanding of who God is and how much He loves us. So that glory really has to manifest in the church. So, so this is why we're taking time to go back through the study because the things in the Old Testament were really written for our example. So we can learn from them and we can not do the same things they did where they made mistakes and do the same things they did when they were obedient to follow So that's my expectation for tonight, as we'll go deeper into that topic, and we, I'm sure, won't finish again, so the next time we're up, we'll keep it going, because there's so much, so much richness in this topic. But before we do anything, I want to make sure that we invite the actual teacher into our hearts, the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts to lead us and to guide us into all truth and to teach us. Uh, We are merely vessels to teach one another what God has put in our heart and what He's put into His Word. And uh, so we need to invite him in uh, to do the teaching for us because it's his teaching that will change us. Father, we stand before you tonight. Oh, Lord. You know what each one of us has been through today. You know what each one of us has encountered. You know the weariness of the body. But the good news is the Spirit is willing. And so we open our spirit, man, and Open our hearts to, to hunger and thirst for your word. For you to feed us tonight with your majestic word, your life-changing word, your, your life-giving word. Fill our hearts with it. Let us see who you are. Let us understand your will and your desire to live among us and, and that we would be your people. Help us to learn to walk in that. Holy Spirit, let us leave here tonight or where those of you online who are not here but but absorbing what the Word is is speaking to us, let each one of us be changed as we dive into your Word tonight, Lord. And let us be doers of your Word and not hearers only, for a good message changes nobody, but doing your Word is is what changes people's lives. So, Father, we thank you for anointing the teaching and anointing the hearing. And, uh, Lord, we turn this night over to you. for you to do what you want to do. Um, help me to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit and uh, those in this room um, that your will can be accomplished. And Father, we give you thanks for all that's about to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's good to uh, to position your heart, to purpose in your heart while you're here. When Anytime you go into your prayer room or into your Bible reading, to take a few moments and acknowledge who God is, and how great He is, and how wonderful He is, and how rich He is, and, and to be able to then open the Word of God with, a, with an open heart toward His love. All right, so this is the glory in the tabernacle. It's part two, and we're going to focus tonight on, on the dwelling place. But we'll turn to our key scripture, the same scripture we started with uh, four weeks ago, um, and give you a quick background and get you quickly caught up to where we were for those of you who weren't here, or, and of course, uh, after four weeks, may possibly not remember. I, I know how that goes. So, so we'll refresh your memory. We'll go to uh, uh, Exodus. We'll spend a lot of time in Exodus tonight. So, again, as a Bible study, if you have your Bibles, feel free to, to open them up. I'll try to give you time to turn there, but there's not a lot of time, so I may move ahead even as you're flipping pages, which is okay. So, we'll start with Exodus 29, and we'll start with verse 38. And this is uh, in context when when Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's getting instructions from God about how he's going to dwell amongst his people. In the midst of that instruction, God says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb uh, shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hint of pressed oil. And one-fourth of a hint of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel... And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Verse 45 says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So when we opened this uh, dialogue up a month ago, we, we laid the foundation. We said, where are we in the children of Israel's lives? What's happening? This was 400 years after, after, after Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and after uh, Joseph had gone to Egypt. They'd been enslaved. So all of these stories that we're reading about now were very foreign to the people who were hearing them. They didn't really, they'd didn't they heard about uh, Father Abraham and the encounters, and those stories had been passed on. Some still believe him by faith, but many of them were like, who's God? Where's he been? I've been whipped on my back for the last 30 years. I don't appreciate this God. So God has to sort of introduce himself over this time period of three months uh, after the crossing of the Red Sea. And we showed you last time around that, that we saw that, that as they crossed the Red Sea and were delivered, we saw that their, God was revealing Himself as, as their deliverer, as their Savior. And then we saw three days into that that, that the waters uh, were not drinkable, they were bitter, and so the people complained, and then God made the water sweet, and, and so He revealed Himself as, as the healer, Jehovah Rapha. And then sometime later, about six weeks later, they were getting hungry for food, and, and uh, so God provides the bread, so we see that, that that God is now uh, the bread of heaven uh, that 's the manna of the story you guys know, and then uh, eventually they're they 're out of water again and and then uh, God says, Look, you know strike strike the rock, and, and the water will flow out, and this is rivers of living water." All of this was detailed out last time we were together, so just catching you up on how God is slowly and generally gently. Showing him what a good God he is and what a provider he is. The Amalekites attacked the Israelites, and and the battle went poorly when Moses in, was on the mountain and he had to put his arms down to to rest. But Aaron and Hur lifted the banner, lifted the rod up, and and the and the Israelites won out. So so God is is revealing himself as their banner, as the one who's oversees their battles. He understands what they're going through. And then they, in Exodus 19 and 20 and so forth. They get to Mount Sinai, and here God reveals himself as, as, as Lord. This is a different experience with God, where pr- prior to this he was providing for their needs, introducing himself as their source, and now he's introducing himself as Lord. Here we see the, the thunder, the lightnings, the voice coming out from heaven. God himself comes down on the mountain. He delivers them the Ten Commandments. In the hearing of all the people, and, and they shrunk back in fear, like, whoa, this is, this is not what we expected. Uh, and, and, um, and so throughout all of this, you know, the people acknowledge, yes, Lord, we'll, 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 we'll agree with what you say, uh, we'll, we'll fear you, and we will obey you, and, and, but only through a mediator, only through Moses. You, you, God, you talk to Moses, and Moses will tell us what to do. Whatever he says, uh, that we'll do. Now, of course, God, who knows all things and anticipates all things, he knew this was kind of how it was going to go down. Uh, no surprises to him right? so he was already uh, mapping out what he wanted to do which was to create this tabernacle in the wilderness and this order of service this order of worship whereby he could be uh, dwelling amongst his people this is a holy God this is a righteous God this is a true God Uh, a just God, an all-powerful God, and yet he wants to dwell amongst his people Israel. And so he's created a, a, a system by which, a means by which he can actually be there physically in their midst, a sinful people with a holy God in their, in their midst and when we finished up last night we talked about the, the sacrifices and the order of service and how, how God commanded all these different things to take place and the people were the ones who had to bring the lambs and the rams and the bulls and the, all the different things and then we saw how in the new covenant God provided the sacrifice so that was already taken care of from his side but we still had a sacrifice to bring remember we talked about our sacrifice now is obedience that's what he expects from us. He expects us to put down our, 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 our own desires, our fleshly desires to serve him, bring our sacrifice of praise, bring our sacrifice of service. This is, what he, this is the sacrifice now that he wants us to bring. And when we approach the tabernacle, when we approach his presence, fully in obedience to his will and his purpose, his glory meets us there at the tent. He speaks with us and it's manifest. And this helps us to continue to do the things that he's called us to do. And so, so that's where we, we kind of wound up. And so, but what I wanted to get deeper into was this concept of this dwelling place of God. And we can't really go into the details of the tabernacle and where He dwells until we first affirm or confirm that we have to know that God is everywhere. So, so God is omnipresent. So when we say God dwells here or God dwells there, it not, doesn't mean that He, you know, that that's His residence and He's not anywhere else. He's not human. He, God is a spirit. Right? So, so God is everywhere at once and in all places 100% there. So even as we know from science, the, the universe is expanding. More and more uh, things are, 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 are being manifest out in the realms of the deep. Um, God is out there too. And it's not that he's getting spread thin. Like we think about at work, you know, when things get really hectic and we're like getting... Sp- doing spread thin and we can't do the job that's a human perspective god is a hundred percent there as he is here as he is over there so so he's always a hundred percent with us and a hundred percent in in nigeria and a hundred percent on mars and wherever else in space he needs to be right so so he's omnipresent and i'll give you a couple of scriptures just to set that point and then we're going to turn back to the the tabernacle so psalm 139 we'll start with verse 7 and the psalmist writes, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And, your right, and if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light on me about me. Indeed the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. The psalmist is recognizing there's no place you can go where God isn't, because He's omnipresent. Isaiah 66 verse 1 and 2. Just a couple of examples in here that confirm this. Uh, that that heaven, God says, uh, is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. So, so where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand is made, and all, of all, and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So here we can already glean from it what he's saying about where he wants to really put his, his, his address, where he wants to put his, his name. It's, it's not in this fancy house or this great church that we have, this building. He wants to put his name on all of us to have that contrite heart and, and have that, that poorness of spirit that realizes he is God, we are his creation. We are uh, his, uh, it's not, it's he who has made us, not we ourselves, as, as we read in Psalm 100. So, so, so it makes sense, right? Everything in this material realm, everything that we know, and we know more and more about it every year, uh, all of this was made by God, so it makes sense that God is present in all of it right if, if he made it all he, he's present in all of it and, and and so he is everywhere all the time and yet at the same time the confounding thing is he chooses to dwell among his people and he loves us so much you know he, he he wants relationship he doesn't want things so he's motivated motivated by a relationship to have a relationship and a relationship with his people you know, and and we're not all that. So, so praise God, He wants to have a relationship with us. Uh, that's that's really good news. So, what we're going to see here uh, is we're going to study now some of the instructions that God gave to Moses on how to build the tabernacle, and we're going to go into a little bit of detail, not a lot. Um, but before I move into that, I just want to say that this concept of God being omnipresent. This is a universally accepted truth within the Christian realm. I mean, everybody would accept this as a truth. Just as much as he's all-powerful and all-knowing, he's present everywhere. This is something that's not debatable, really, amongst the church. This is something we have to embrace. Now, we often have to embrace it by faith because, as humans, we can't be everywhere at once. But God, as a spirit, can be. So we have to understand that, that, that that's, a, that's a fact as an immutable fact. So so don't get caught up again as we get into the details of where he abides and where his presence is uh, because he's also everywhere at once. But again, it's this relationship, this intimate relationship, this close contact with his people that he desires. In the scriptures we just read in our opening scripture, uh, I'll read a portion of it again. We're going to look at Exodus 24 and verse 16 to 18. And here, uh, now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. Oh, this is a different scripture, but this is the one I wanted to read. <laughs> uh, this is the mountain experience before, before uh, uh, Moses goes up into the midst. He says, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And look at this, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And so Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Again, that's, that's where he's getting his instructions uh, from God. He's in, this, in the presence of God. But this manifest glory of God is like a cloud and like a consuming fire. It's something that people could see that had no idea who God was. And they could recognize it and they could either run from it or they could run to it. Uh, And and that's our goal, obviously, is to to run toward God because he loves us so much. But as I mentioned in the beginning, the the heartbeat here is that there has to be some manifestation or some experiential uh, divine... uh, I don't know how else to say it, within us that says, wow, this is, this is really, this is, this is something beyond an emotional experience. This is something beyond an intellectual understanding. This is the glory of God that has to be manifest. And, and it, it's not necessarily going to be there all the time, but it's going to be enough to feed us when times get tough, enough to feed us when the doubts come, enough to feed us when the call is, is clear but, the, but the, the road looks rocky ahead. Um, we need to walk by faith don't get me wrong stepping out in faith and, and blessed are those who don't see and believe jesus told thomas but at the same time god is so good to say you need that glory you need that experience because that's what's going to draw people to him it's not that you need to hunger for the glory you need to hunger for him but the glorious is that thing that draws you it's that manifest presence of a spirit truth okay so, so God, so this manifest presence is on Mount Sinai and Moses doesn't run from it. He goes into it and he gets, he gets the instructions from God. And part of these instructions, and this is, this is where I started to read Exodus 29, 42 to 45, the tabernacle is referenced. I'll read it again. And this shall be a continual burnt offering through your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you and speak with you. And there I will... Uh, meet with the children of israel so it's not just the priests, but it's also the children of israel and the tabernacle should be sanctified set apart uh, by my glory and so i will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and also the aaron and his sons so the priests who are there and as i mentioned last week who who are the priests now Right, who, are, who is the kingdom of priests today? Right? It's the followers of Christ. It's, that's us. So that glory will be manifest and sanctified. It'll set us apart as his priests. So that glory is so vital, it's so necessary that we have that. So he's developing this relationship. He's revealed who he is. He's talked about setting apart uh, a place so that he can dwell, abide in, live amongst his, his people. This tabernacle, he's very specific about the instructions. It is incredibly vital that Moses follow the details to the nth degree. So much so even God said, look, you're not even going to build it. I got these two other fellows that I'm calling out because I have put these images that you see in the heavenlies uh, on their hearts to build in in this tabernacle. And Pastor Ray did a great job of talking about this last week, about how, how Christ passed through and saw in the heavenlies what this tabernacle represents on the earth. So, so the details are very important, and we'll see later why. So this is a mobile tent. It's a mobile house, not a mobile home, but a, <laughs> a tent that people can live in and then move from place to place. Uh, and, it's a, and it's a dwelling place. And, and I want you to think about it this way, that God is preparing a body for himself to abide in so he can live amongst the people of Israel uh, in the wilderness. So he's creating this as a body. So now we're going to go over the, the construction of this thing a little bit and the details. If you can put the PowerPoint up, uh, that would be helpful. I don't know if it's better if I stand. I think there might be better if I stand over here. And uh, some of you are very familiar with this, uh, and some of you haven't, have never seen it. Uh, and so we'll take the time to, to express what's in here, uh, just, but just briefly. And in fact, our own uh, Pastor John Pfeffer has written a book uh, called the Tabernacle in the Wilderness, I think, and, and you can get it here. But it, it covers all the details and what all the symbolism is. But what, I, what I've highlighted here is, is essentially what I want you to get out of this mostly is that there's three sections to this, three very important sections that are separated. So we'll start with uh, the outer court. And uh, I'll have a little green pointer here so hopefully you can see where we are. So we're going to start at the bottom, and we have a, we have a screen here or a gate Uh, And so the people of Israel were instructed to bring their sacrifices to the gate. And then in this this courtyard out here were were a part of the the, uh, tribes of Israel known as the Levites. And they would be in there as servants to God. And they would receive the sacrifices and come into the courtyard. And uh, so that was their job is to sort of be servants. So not everybody could be in the courtyard. In fact, you couldn't really see in those tents on the side were about seven feet high. Now, you could you know, climb on someone's back or stand on a cart or, or whatever to see in there. So it's not like you were excluded from seeing in. But, but generally, um, you weren't allowed in there. Not the general population wasn't allowed in there. So it's the outer court. And, uh, and so it's important to know that only a, sele- a, a broader group, but a select group could go in. But everybody was, was aware of what was going on because you had the continual sacrifice of, of animals. And you had uh, burning of the animals in what's called the brazen, al- brazen altar. Let's see, where are we? Here we go. So this thing here is called the brazen altar. And this is where, where continually we read in the scriptures these uh, sacrifices we put uh, on, the, on the altar to be burned. So going up from that altar would always be a pillar of smoke in a sense uh, indicating what was going on inside. So the people of Israel and, and all the people who were not of Israel uh, who were around there, could see that this was a very significant part in the courtyard and then we have behind the courtyard is uh, this round thing this is called the laver and uh, this is basically a reflective bowl and and, uh, full of water and so the priests would use this to wash uh, themselves particularly after going through the sacrifice uh, before they went into into the tent or the tabernacle which is behind that uh, so, so what we have in the outer court is, is a lot of things related to the flesh. You have the sacrifice of the flesh and you have the washing of the flesh uh, before you go in, into the, the holy place. You with me? Everybody good so far? All right. So, so now we're going to go inside this this, this box. kind of looks like a big loaf of bread. You know, <laughs> when, when we've seen different people build these, they use different kinds of materials to to, to demonstrate what they must have been like. But you can kind of see from this illustration that it's square or rectangular like, like a loaf of bread in a sense, but it's obviously big enough for people to go in. And, and what this is made of is it sort of has a set of bones, if you will, uh, of acacia wood that are covered with gold. And then over the top of all those uh, boards or slats are, are animal skins. So, so everything inside that box is covered over, so nobody can really see in there uh, at all. I mean, it's it's completely covered over. So, so you can't see inside that holy place. Um, and and but there is a, a source of light in there. It's, it's the golden lampstand, and and there's also the table of showbread, which is which is a table with, with bread that they would bake every week and put on there, and then uh, replace it on the and the priests that could go in there. Uh, would eat that, and then there's an altar of incense, uh, which which is uh, wh- where where the prayer it represents the prayers of the saints. So that continue the priests would go in there and continually burn incense, representing the prayers. Now, what's really neat about this is is that that the only people that could go in here was a very special group of Levites who were descendants of Aaron. They were called the priests. So the priests were the only ones. So so a very select few of the people could could go in and do the service of of, of the tabernacle in the holy place. So that, so that and there, again, there's tons of spiritual significance that not my intent to go through that, all of that tonight. Um, but just to give you an understanding, and then behind that, where's my thing, is, is this line called the veil, and that's this kind of partially torn away blue curtain with angels and so forth on it. So this is a thick, heavy curtain that hung between the holy place and the holy of holies. Very thick, very strong, weighty, uh, with, with uh, gold uh, ribbon woven through it. A, it was a pretty significant thing. And, and But this was, its intention here was to be a separator. It, it, it divided the holy place from from the holy of holies or the most holy. Now and this is an important part because we know that when, when, when Christ was crucified, uh, this veil, this separation between the priest and God was torn in two from top to bottom. So Christ in his sacrifice made the way for man to get into uh, the very presence of god but here in in Moses' day that veil hung hung strong and uh, the priest dare not go behind there uh, except under the order of god by the high priest one one person the high priest could go in only garbed out in all of his high priest uh, regalia and only with the with the blood he could not go in without the blood lest he die so this was a place in, in called the Holy of Holies, it was, was shut off and there was no source of light. No one could see in, and most people couldn't go in there except one, the high priest, and then only once a year. But what's inside there is the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant is this, 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 this container with, with, with bars that the uh, Levites would carry it on when they moved. And then on top of the Ark uh, was the mercy seat. And we'll talk more about that and, and with the angels that, that were on top of that. So so in essence that's the that's the layout of this tent where God has put this specifically together uh, so that he could dwell among among his people. So so there's a, there's a lot in here but it, but it's interesting that it's almost it's almost preceded by or foreshadowed by the experience on Mount Sinai. So if you think about what happened when Israel got to Mount Sinai and God said to Moses call the people to the base of the mountain because I'm going to introduce myself to them. And what did he say? He said, well, don't go near you know, the outside of the mountain. All the people could see the outside, but don't go there. Don't go near it. Like, just like the outer court, only the Levites were allowed in there. And then during this experience, God said to Moses, now I want you to bring up 70 of the elders up partway up the mountain. So now we only have a few people who are invited into that holy place. And there they ate and drank in the presence of God. We talked about that last time we were together. Uh, but, but, but then when God wanted to talk to Moses specifically in this 40-day period, he said, only you come. And Joshua, his assistant, came along. So, so we have a very narrow group then that could go into the very, very presence of God. Meanwhile, all the people down below are looking at this and they see, they see uh, this consuming fire, you know, like from the brazen altar. And, and, they, see, and they see this pillar of cloud uh, where Moses disappeared for some time. So, so, so God is, is, is laying a foundation for a, a spiritual truth. What we see here, and while it had to be very specific, it was not uh, a real thing. It was a type of a thing. It was a type of something more. And, uh, and, and it, this is where Israel really understood uh, that God would, would, would dwell in, on the mercy seat between the cherubim in the holy, most holy place. So a couple of scriptures to draw that out a little bit. Exodus 25, verses 17 to 22, says this, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim, these are angels, of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them. uh, On two ends of the mercy seat, make one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim will stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another with the faces toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark you shall put in the in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And here verse twenty two says, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from, from above the mercy seat. Now, just to pause for a moment, you know, one thing that stands out is that when we read the verses earlier, God said, I will meet you at the door of the tabernacle, speaking of the broader congregation. But for Moses, he said, I'm going to talk to you in, in, in the holy place, and I will be um, manifest there above, above the mercy seat, uh, and that's where I will give you instructions, Moses. And then that is true also of the high priest once a year when he came in under the right conditions another example where we see this is the dwelling place of god this mercy seat is in uh, ezekiel chapter 37 and we'll read verse 14 to 17 the, the context here is is that the king at the time of israel is hezekiah and, and, and hezekiah was was threatened by the king of assyria and so hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And this is is how the king of Israel prayed. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kings of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. So here we see two things. One, you know, Hezekiah recognized the abiding presence of God above the mercy seat. And this was the very God he was praying to. At the same time, he recognized that, that God is all things to all people. Uh, he, is, he is the one who made everything. He is above heaven and earth. Uh, uh, so he, he's the one true God, and yet he abides in, in this, on this tabernacle. So, so it's a pretty powerful illustration of something more, which we'll get to in a moment, but what I want, but the title of the message here is the glory in the tabernacle. So, so, we'll talk about the glory. Um, so, after Moses gets done with all the work, he and his workers they build everything just so, just according to how God told him to do it, and they put it all together uh, in, in Exodus chapter 40, uh, verse 34 to 38. It says then, after Moses and the people obeyed God, then the Lord covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting. Moses, now this is Moses. that was just 40 days and nights on the mountain with him. After they built all this, he was not even able to enter the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and the cloud rested above it. So whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go forward on their journeys but if the cloud was not taken up then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys so, so the glory again is this tangible experience it's something they could see something they could witness something that, that when Moses went in he was like whoa he fell back you know you've heard about the Pentecostal uh, movement where where people would be slain in the spirit well th- well well that is real when the glory of god is manifest and you can't stand in his presence you fall back flat it, it, you can't help it that that's the glory of god that's, that's pushing you down it's that weighty manifest presence of god now there's there's charlatans doing that who don't feel anything or they're doing it for attention so so you know be careful what you see but but those are real experiences that, that many of us have had and it's those kinds of experiences that help us in, in our faith um, because we recognize how, how glorious God is and how real He is in these situations. Also notice that He filled the tabernacle. This wasn't a little dabadooia or that side over there. They got the glory, but over here didn't get any glory. He filled, He filled, He filled the tabernacle. And when we think about this sanctuary here, the glory of God needs to fill this place and so that everybody has that that witness uh that experiential uh uh, witness of of his presence and again it's a pillar of fire and and, uh, a a consuming fire and and a cloud associated with the glory but again i want to remind you that this is a type of things to come this isn't the real thing it's just something that god put together using the materials that he provided for the israelites so they would have this so that, that when the real would come they would recognize it. Now, that's the tabernacle in the wilderness. And, and, and as, as, as Exodus noted, the, 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 that kind of led them through their wanderings and got them in the promised land, etc. We're going to fast forward to the temple in Jerusalem. We're going to touch on this briefly. And then we're going to move into what the real really is. So the temple in Jerusalem uh, was built about 480 years after the Exodus from, from Egypt. This is drawn from 1 Kings chapter 6. So, so this is Solomon's temple that we're talking about. So it was around 957 B.C. So Israel had, had conquered the promised land. They lived through 300 years of the period of the judges. Uh, they decided they didn't want judges anymore. They wanted a king like, so they could be like all the other nations. It wasn't God's will, but God allowed it. And uh, so they, uh, God chose Saul. Saul failed to follow God. Uh, God chose King David now King David's son Solomon is in the throne. And, and, and God, David wanted to build the, the temple. Uh, God said, no, but your son will build it. So, so Solomon now gets the privilege of building using the materials that his father David had gathered uh, to build this magnificent, magnificent temple. It's, it's just the most amazing building, and people would come from far and wide to see see this temple for all of its glory. But the neat thing about it is when you, when you study this Solomon's temple, it, it is, it is an, 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 a Twice the size version of this tabernacle in the wilderness that we just talked about. But obviously, it's, it's made of, of marble, and the, the pillars were, you know, the cedars of Lebanon. It's a, it's a permanent structure, which is its primary difference from, from this one. And, and of course, its size. And, and so, his glory, you know, as a building w- w- was to be envied for sure. Lots of gold, lots of carvings, uh, just a phenomenal place where, where God wanted to uh, put his name. And, uh, and the leaders of Israel wanted to have a permanent place for him to put his name. So, so it, it modeled this same, this same structure, this same outer court where most people could go, the holy place where the priests would go, and the holy of holies where ultimately the Ark of the Covenant would be set. Let's take a look at some of the scriptures here regarding this temple. 1 Kings 6 and verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying... Concerning this temple, which you are building, and look at this, we saw this last time together too. If you walk in my statutes uh, and execute my judgments, keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So again, just as with the tabernacle in the wilderness, we see that all of these things are available to us Uh, as followers of christ uh, this is really before christ now uh, but obedience is required they need to follow the law they need to obey the law they need to do the things that god told them to do and when they did them right his presence was manifest his glory was evident but you can see as you read through the old testament that there are times when then when they did things wrong and the presence of god wasn't wasn't even there uh, and then a new king would come along who would follow after God, and then his presence would be there again. So so following or obeying obedient to the law was vital to this situation. First Kings eight, ten through thirteen. Look at this. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. So the concept of tabernacle or temple is a place where God abides. So whenever we think about this house as a temple, we need to know this is where God abides. This is where his glory should manifest. Is that making sense? Hopefully it's making you hunger for that because we haven't seen a lot of that, at least uh, in the manifestation. We certainly know it by faith. So he manifested glory in this, this permanent place, just as he did in this mobile place. And they experienced it physically. Um, but again, God requires the sacrifices, the same as in the tabernacle in the wilderness, and obedience is a requirement for his presence. But again, the, this, the Solomon's temple was not the real either. It was also a type of something more to come. So so now we're going to fast forward even for, further. Now we're going to go almost 1,000 years, 957 years later, roughly. Um, we see that Solomon's temple has been destroyed. We see that the Ark of, covenant, of the Covenant is lost. It's gone. The mercy seat is gone. Uh, the people went into exile. They returned. Zerubbabel, he built the second temple in the same place around 500 B.C., um, and then that same temple was rebuilt again by Herod to try to, to, to placate the Jews around 20 years before Christ came. So that's the, that's the story of this physical temple. It's been through its ups and downs. And over time, that, that presence of God has, has dissipated and the daily commerce and the daily worship has taken its place. So now in the fullness of time, God is ready to establish a new and a better covenant So he's going to now dwell among his people in a different kind of temple. You ready for this? (laughs) You guys are real quiet out there. All right, let's go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and 13. Perfect, thank you, Brian. Uh, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found the temple. Just talked about this place, who, 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 those, and those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers, doing business. Just a side comment here: the money changers are—they uh, had a, something called a. a, a a temple tax that had to be in temple shekels so you could bring your daily currency, swap it out for temple shekels, and there was always an exchange rate associated with that. Someone pocketed a little bit here and there. Um, and then they would use the temple shekel to buy the sacrifice that would go into the temple. So there's all this commerce going on. And, 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 and when, when Jesus saw this, he, he made a whip out of cords, verse 15, and he drove them all out of the temple Uh, with their sheep and the oxen and he poured out the changers money and overturned the tables and he said to those who sold doves take these things away do not make my father's house a house of merchandise and then the disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house has eaten me up so and this is a whole other message which I look forward to doing which is really what this house should have been used for uh, but obviously it had turned into a place of commerce, a place of socialization, a place to maybe escape the pressures of work or what have you. Um, but it wasn't any longer a place of worship. It was no longer a house of prayer. What's our house look like today? Just putting that out there. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign? He said, the Jews, these are the people who I irate. So, so I remember uh, uh, Symbala. Was it Jim Symbala? He did, the, he did the, my house should be a house of prayer. He talked about these people in the temple. He said, they're there doing God's business. They're there making a way for the people to do their sacrifices so they can obey the law. What's wrong with that? And, and, and obviously it was their motive and what they were doing that was wrong with it. And, uh, and so these people are arrayed with him. What are you doing trashing our business? And, 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 he's, and, and, and the, so they said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered to them to, and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. This is the Herod version of, of, this, of Zerubbabel's temple. It'll take us 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? They're like, yeah, right, you know, what are you on? <clears throat> but he said this, speaking of the temple of his body. And therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said, uh, to them that they believe the scripture and the Word which Jesus had said, so Jesus is referring to his own body now as as a temple. This is where God has chosen to live or to dwell among his people in the body of Jesus. He is now the temple, the the true temple and and what this uh, uh, represented so 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 god is spirit but he needs a body to reside in on the earth and he put authority in the authority of mankind and man's man's spirit and god's spirit were together in the garden of eden but after the fall a holy god could not be in the presence of an unholy people so that was a separation so god couldn't dwell in his people adam and eve um, but now he's he can dwell in, in the body of christ so, so he prepared this tabernacle, this mobile tabernacle, uh, as a body to dwell in among the children of Israel. And there are three parts to the body of Christ. There's his body and his soul and, and his spirit, right? So his, and Pastor John has taught this over and over with regard to renewing the mind and understanding how the body works. Um, but Jesus' body was the same way. He was the Son of Man, so he had a body like ours. So, he, so he, his outer body was visible to all, Uh, But it takes faith to see beyond his natural appearance. Many people saw him as the son of Joseph the carpenter. They didn't see anything more than that. Many people saw a white curtain and nothing more. You know, that's all it was. You know, it was just some quirky thing the Israelites did. No, many people saw Jesus as just a normal dude. Uh, They didn't, it takes faith to see beyond that body. Um, He was accessible, but really only by those who who he called around him um, and, and those who chose to follow him. Um, But but not everybody did that. So it was like the Levites here in in the tabernacle. Um, And and of course, he was continually sacrificing. The, The Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. What does that mean? What it means is daily Jesus had to say no to the things that his flesh wanted to do in exchange for the things that his father wanted him to do. You know, he he, he heard that his buddy, his good friend Lazarus, had died. I'm sure that his flesh wanted to go immediately to heal him. But God said, wait. He waited. He had to put his flesh under when when people probably accused him for not running in dissipation with him when he was a high schooler, so to speak. Uh, You know, and he said, no, that's not for me. And so he had to endure the persecution that comes along with that. He was continually sacrificing the desire of his flesh. So he was tempted in all ways as we are, and yet he didn't sin, right? So that was his sacrifice uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the courtyard of his flesh and washing of the water, continually taking care of this flesh and also digging into the scriptures to learn who he was and who God intended him to be. Then we see his soul, his mind, his will and emotions reflected here in the holy place, not visible even to many of his, his, his disciples. There was a select few that could really see deep into his heart who he was and what he wanted to do. Um, so only a few people like in the in the tabernacle the priests only are allowed to go into that holy place and and this is the bridge between the spirit of jesus and the body of jesus this is the way the communication from god the father would come through the the soul of christ to his body and then the, would be manifest in the earth for whatever god wanted him to do and the lampstand, of course, this is the light of the Holy Spirit that guided Jesus just as he does with us. The, the bread of his presence, this is the word of God that would nourish him and refresh him. And the altar of incense, You know, his prayers were continually before his father. What do you want me to do next? This was how his soul functioned. Uh, and these emblems represent much, much more. But, but for our study, I want you to see this as a body, and this is representing the body of Christ. And then, of course, his spirit man uh, was, was the most holy place, or the holy of holies. This is where God's spirit and, and his spirit were in union. God's spirit was always in, in the presence of, of, of his spirit all the time, and no one could see that other than himself uh, as he turned to look at it. Um, and within that was the Ark of the Covenant, but now Jesus is bringing a new and a better covenant uh, to bear. And I want to highlight one specific part of this, this, this holy place within Christ and what it means from the tabernacle. And we're going to look here at the mercy seat. So, Brian, if you can put the other side, slide up, perfect. We're going to talk briefly about this. Uh, yeah, and then we should be good for time. Okay, let's look at this mercy seat. Um, I'm going to show you in, in a couple places what this represents, and, and, and this, every time I look at this, it blows my socks off. Uh, then, uh, Hebrews nine verses one through five. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service, and the earthly sanctuary. for its tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Same with tonight. We're not going to go into detail there. But what I want to highlight is that that last verse, in verse 5, it references uh, the, the glory overshadowing the mercy seat you see those words mercy seat um, now that word is a Greek word it's used in the Old Testament also as propitiation it's a Greek word I don't know hystalion, something like that I, don't, I haven't studied Greek so I'm just giving you my best guess out of strong's. Uh, it's an, it means to expiate it, it means to make amends for or extinguish the guilt of something that's what propitiation means or in his Hebrews writes it, the mercy seat. Now go to Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 to 26. And here we're going to read a little bit differently about this propitiation. Uh, Now the, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hmm. Let's pause on that for a moment. If we're talking about wanting the glory of God, if our sin causes us to fall short of it, maybe we need to make sure we've done something about our sin. Then we'll see the glory of God. Uh, So uh, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But now, um, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation, you could put in as a mercy seat by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So so we see that the redemption is in Christ Jesus, this was in verse 24, whom God set forth. Redemption is Christ Jesus, who God set forth as a propitiation, as the mercy seat. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation, the same set of verses. Uh, I don't know if you have them, Brian, but I'll read them. Uh, Romans three twenty-one to 25, New Living Translation it says, For everyone has sinned. We all shor- fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. That's that place for propitiation, or mercy seat. God presented Jesus as our mercy seat. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's something to celebrate. So, so Jesus then is this mercy seat. He's, he's the top of the ark, and this is what we said was the dwelling place of God. Right? In Jesus. This is where the glory of God manifests. This is where he would speak to his high priest. Jesus is the mercy seat. Now, let's see how, how Mary saw this. John chapter 20. And this is after Jesus was crucified and died and was resurrected. Peter and John had heard the news. They came to the tomb. Uh, they ran in, saw the, the, clothes, the, the grave clothes. And they left. But, but Mary, this is verse 11, John 20, verse 11. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. If there isn't any verification that Jesus is our propitiation, that he's our mercy seat, Mary saw it. She saw this. And, and that, that is just so powerful to me, uh, how God is so merciful and loving that His own Son would take the sins of many. And, and the presence of God was in Him, and yet He still was our, our mercy seat, our propitiation. The sacrifice of Christ extinguished our guilt over sin because the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. The empty tomb told us, the price for our sins had been paid. And the angels, they watched over this to protect it while he was in hell taking our punishment in our place. Wow, that's God. Now, one more point to make. We're talking about Jesus as the tabernacle, as the place where God lived. And we're talking about the glory in the tabernacle. So we saw when the Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness, when it was finished, this pillar of cloud was manifest and Moses couldn't stand and we saw the temple of Solomon when it was finished the pillar of cloud and the priest couldn't stand and so there was this manifest glory when these temples were complete what happened with Jesus he is also a temple so we're going to talk about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 to 17 it says when Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him and John tried to prevent him saying I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me but Jesus answered and said to him permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness and so John allowed him and when Jesus had been baptized Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting upon him And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So here we see a couple of things. We see again the sacrifice that's necessary for the glory to be manifest. And here what we see is also repentance. John the Baptist came preaching repentance, repentance from dead works, changing your viewpoint, changing your ways. Look unto God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so, so in fulfilling this, Jesus obviously didn't have to repent from anything, but in, in, in our stead, in a sense, he's repenting uh, from, for, for us. And, and so there's repentance, and then there's also baptism. And when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, again, it was symbolic of him crucifying his flesh, dying to his self so that he could live for God. And of course, that's what we do when we are baptized. So there's still a sacrifice to be made and there's, and there's a repentance. And then we see the glory of God manifesting in this temple, Jesus now, as the Holy Spirit comes and alights on, on him in bodily form like a dove. In God, remember in the, old, in, the, in the early examples, we say God showed himself as Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah the healer, or, or Jehovah the provider, Jehovah the bread, the river, all of these different things. And then at the mountain, he showed himself as Lord, and you know how he, he's all powerful and almighty on that mountain. Uh, and, and the children of Israel shrunk back. Now we see a whole new attribute of God. Now he's introducing himself to us as Father. This is God, but he's also saying Father. And this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And he's demonstrating or beginning to demonstrate his mercy. Because he knows that his people couldn't obey the law fully. And it was just a schoolmaster, as Galatians says, a teacher to show them that they needed a Savior. And when the fullness of time had come, he is now bringing his Savior. So we see God demonstrating himself as Father. And we don't see a pillar of cloud and a consuming fire, although we'll see that later uh, when we get to Revelation. Um, But we see the Spirit of God now dwelling in another body. It's a mobile body. It can move around. Um, and it's in the form of Jesus who is fully submitted and fully obeys his Father. This is now in Jesus' day, the tabernacle of God on the earth. So when we get together again, we're going to take this a step further because you know that Jesus died, was raised, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says to us clearly, don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? So we're going to go there next time we get together. That's exciting stuff. And it's so important not just for us and for our walk, but without that, how can we bring anyone to Christ? How can we introduce our Savior to them if they see this as an old set of stories and books that have no relevance and meaning in today's generation? We need the glory, and we need it to be manifest, which means we need to do things differently. It's not God holding back. It's us not following His pattern. So there's things we can do, and we'll learn about that next time we get together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your your mercy. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you pour out your spirit ultimately on all flesh and that you abide in your people because you love us. You who created all things and could choose to put your name and dwell anywhere you choose to put it in us. Help us to grow that we can be worthy and we can demonstrate. I know we can't be worthy by our works, but help us to to follow your pattern so that you can do your will on this earth and accomplish all that you want done. Let your word settle in us tonight. Let your words ignite a fire, a consuming fire within our hearts to do your will, to please you, to serve you, to love one another. Let your word come to life in us and help us to be doers of the word, motivated by that that glory that's within us. And let that glory be manifest that those who you are bringing to the kingdom would see it and draw them to your very presence. Thank you, Lord, that you would take these words that you have deposited in us and help us to meditate on them and to grow thereby. That you continue to feed us and lead us. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. And allow you to do what you want, and not be inconvenienced by your prodding and by your by your uh, your direction, but to embrace it and to run with it. You are a good God, a loving God, a merciful God. And we give you thanks for all that you've taught us tonight. Thank you, Lord. part of what we we are privileged to do in our obedience to follow after the leading of the Lord is, is to, to, to give his tithes and, and, and bring our, our offerings to the storehouse. It's part of what he set up even before the law uh, in the order of Melchizedek who we may or may not get into next time. But giving a, a, the tenth of our increase is, is part of his requirements and, and giving of our offerings is a demonstration of our love for him. And these are things that are part of this, this obedience, part of this following after his pattern. It's a privilege and it's an honor to be able to give. And so you know the different ways that we have to give. Uh, uh, you can do it by your, your text giving or through the app or, or you can bring a check to the, the back of the sanctuary. But whatever you do, however you give, it's important that you give with a willing and a joyful heart and that you give with purpose. And uh, so let's pray over that giving as, as, we, as we prepare to leave tonight. Father, we thank you for the, uh, this, the resources that you have provided each and every one of our households. And we thank you that we have the privilege to bring those uh, ties, your ties and our offerings to you, that you can do what you would like to do with them uh, as we release them into your hand. We pray that they would be part of producing um, fruit that remains. Uh, everlasting fruit, uh, more people that would be part of our body, part of your kingdom uh, as we give into your kingdom. And we thank you that your word says that as we give, we have nothing to worry about for you will give it back unto us, all that is needed for us in our walk because you're that way, you're that good. And so we thank you for blessing the gift and the giver and uh, and for, for providing all that this house needs and all the houses in which this house gives in, in, in Jesus' name. And one final point, uh, I know most of you here, or really all of you, I think, but if there's anybody online uh, that has heard this message and said, well, uh, I don't feel like I have the Holy Spirit within me. I don't feel like Jesus is my Lord. Maybe I'm, I've been on the outside of the tent looking in and I'm curious, but I want more. If that's you, you probably need to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And uh, what's important here is that you, you, by faith, ask him to be that. First decide, do you want to be uh, saved? Do you want to be redeemed? Uh, do you want to be set apart for God's glory? Uh, and if you do, then you need first to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And uh, the way to do that is by a simple prayer. We're going to do that right now, uh, if, if all of those who are here would, would bear with me for a moment. And those of you who are watching online, if you haven't done this before, Uh, or if you haven't, it's been a long time and you simply want to refresh your commitment to Christ, just repeat these words after me. Father, I give you thanks that Jesus died on the cross and that His blood cleanses me from my sin and that He paid the price that I deserved for my sins. Father, I believe that Jesus is now raised from the dead. And as I ask him to be my Lord, you, Father, will send your spirit to live with my spirit, to lead me and to guide me into all truth. I thank you for my new life in Christ. Help me to walk it out in Jesus' name. Folks, if you said that for the first time, that, that, that's, a, that's a prayer of faith that, that it, it changes the universe. It did for all of us who have done this in the past, and it will for you as well. It may be baby steps at first. It may be that you just had a glory cloud right in your living room. I don't know how it worked for you, uh, and that's between you and God. But what I do know is that you need each other. We need each other to walk this out. So I encourage you to call the church tomorrow and let them know uh, that you prayed this prayer tonight. And uh, we'd be happy to send you some information to help you understand what that prayer meant and uh, to pray with you further if you have any needs. Brothers and sisters, I thank you for coming out tonight and uh, for studying the Word with me. And I look forward to getting together in our next adventure to learn more about this glory and the tabernacle. Amen.